You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Please stand for the reading of the word. We're reading today from Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jill. Well, good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are visiting with us tonight, honored that you've chosen to hang out with us and uh, hope our, your time has been an encouragement so far um, as you've worshiped uh, with us. Uh, I want to add a real quick uh, announcement to the mix. Um, I mentioned last week that uh, the group that I sing with, with my family, was was going to be in concert tonight, but we have some folks under the weather. And so um, that concert is going to be rescheduled. Don't have a date for that yet, but stay tuned. It's likely going to be within the month of April, so we'll, uh, we'll be back. But it'll be here at Memorial, same time, 730 uh, on a Sunday evening. So if you're here for that tonight, sorry about that. Hope to see you at the new date in April. All right. I'm wondering, I have a question tonight that um, for those of you that maybe have grown up in the church, have had experience in reading the scriptures, if you've ever noticed um, how often the Bible emphasizes that Christ and the gospel come especially to the aid of those who are weak. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever noticed that? The Old Testament is also filled with so much assurance for those who are downcast or brokenhearted or weak. The psalmists, we were just talking about the psalms, often praise that God would come to rescue the weak. There are those that we see in the scriptures that, the, that God has a heart for that are oppressed or poor or despised. What are those What are another way we could describe those people? They're weak, right? And we see in the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, that that he comes alongside those who are weak. And on occasion, he does this in really poignant ways. In one place in the Gospels, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when his disciples are sleeping, when they need to be praying, he says of them kindly, but very truthfully, that the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. 
It's interesting to me that the Bible over and over shows a God who isn't afraid to serve those and love those who are willing to raise their hand and acknowledge their weakness. But if you know the culture that we live in, the society that we live in, to admit weakness, we, we can't do that. We cannot admit that maybe there is something in us or a lot in us that isn't strong, that is in real need, that is needy. So the question really that I have for you is, are you weak? Are you willing to admit the areas in your life where you have weakness? And I'm not talking about physical weakness. I'm talking about spiritual weakness. Uh, I've told you before that I'm a, a child of the 80s. I'm also a teenager of CCM uh, in the 90s. And, and one of the artists that I couldn't get enough of in the 90s is an artist by the name of Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> and I discovered him in the 90s, and then I went to kind of listen back through his catalog, and he was, you know, recording music in the late 80s as well. And I think on his second record in the late 80s, he had a song called Week Days, but it's spelled W-E-A-K, Days. Now, some of you are going to think this is really corny, but it's spot on. He said in that song, I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus on the weekdays. And what he is saying, what SC Squared is saying, is this. Every day is a weekday. And so every day, I have to depend on Jesus because every day is a W-E-A-K day. And so... Is that something that we would be able to say tonight? Can we acknowledge our weakness? If we can't, it's possible that there is something in the way. This is what I think is true in my life. When I can't do that, I'm being prideful. I'm feigning strength that isn't really there. And in the passage that we're looking at tonight, Paul actually wants us to see what is good about us admitting and acknowledging our weakness. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open. Romans chapter 8, we're almost finished with this chapter. We're actually tonight finishing um, this section of Romans. We're actually going to pick up the very last section of Romans 8 on Easter Sunday in a few weeks. Beginning next week, we're actually going to begin a new series on the life and the ministry of Jesus leading us into Easter. So you'll want to be here for that. Um, but tonight we continue on in, in Romans 8. And as we do that tonight, I want to invite you to see two things. First is this. The triune God supplies supernatural help in prayer. The triune God supplies supernatural help in prayer. And then secondly, the triune God supplies supernatural help in salvation. So let's take a look beginning there in verse 26 together. Now, we need to remember what we talked about last week just briefly in response to suffering 
Paul has said, your present suffering, whatever you're walking through that is difficult, whatever you're walking through that is making you weak, it should be helped by your realization that you have a future glory. Paul went so far as to say that whatever you're walking through right now, it doesn't even compare to what is to come. And what Paul was saying is, how you view suffering is relative to what you value. How you walk through suffering, how you experience suffering, how you respond to suffering is relative to what you value. If you value the future glory of God and the glory that he's doing in you and will ultimately do in your future, it will help you put into perspective your present suffering. Now, Paul is going to have a word of encouragement to us today that deals with another aspect of the fallen and broken world that we live in. And it's something that we can experience for sure when we're in the midst of suffering. And it's this, it's our weakness. So look with me there, continuing in verse 26. Paul has a word of encouragement for us here by doing something first that's very interesting. He is going to first tell us what we can't do. What does he say? He says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. I wonder if you've ever felt that in prayer. Paul says that it is precisely at the point that we do not know what to pray for, that's, that, that God does something for us through another person in the Trinity. He says that precisely at the point that we do not know what to pray for, he sends the Holy Spirit to help us. And actually, he uses a word here, the Spirit intercedes for us. And that means, as Paul says here, that when all we can kind of get out of our prayers are groanings, all right? That means we don't even know what words to use. The Spirit takes those groanings, and in some mysterious way, he on our behalf, translates those to God for our sake. And I love this because in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called our intercessor. But here we see another intercessor. Friends, you have two intercessors, Jesus and the Spirit. Jesus and the Spirit are working together to bring your intercession to the to God the Father, and what we're seeing in this is the Trinity working together here, working to bring you aid, to bring you help, to bring you support, to bring you comfort, and, and uh, ultimately to bring you peace. And that brings us to verse 27. Paul continues the theme of intercession by saying that in this community of the Trinity, the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit expresses our heart's longings to the Father in such a way that when he intercedes for us, God the Father perfectly knows what our heart's longings are meant to say. They're perfectly understood by our Heavenly Father, even if we can't comprehend them ourselves, if all that's coming out of us is sort of this groaning. And even more, Paul says that every prayer that the Spirit mediates through those groanings 
they align perfectly with the will of God. God discerns the voice of the Spirit in our prayers, and then he answers our prayers according to his will. Reminds me of something pastor and author Tim Keller says about prayer. He says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knew. That is the work of the Spirit on our behalf. The Spirit is helping us in our weakness in prayer. Here's the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. The triune God supplies supernatural help to you in prayer. You know, we live in a a world and in a culture where everything is working, everyone and everything is working very hard to look really strong. And strength isn't bad, okay? But you can, I think, understand what I mean when I say that in like sporting events. We, We like the teams that win the championships. Do we celebrate the teams that get second place? <laughs> no, right? We like the professionals that get the most prestigious positions. We like the really smart scholars that give the most prestigious fellowships and residencies. We like the students who get the best scholarships. We like the businessmen who make the most money, who are most successful. And then there's those who struggle, those who are weak. What happens with those people? What happens if that's us? We're ignored, even maybe looked down upon, or we are looking down on others like that. Do you notice what Paul is saying here? He is not saying that there is a category of person who is weak and a category of person who is is strong. He, He is saying that if you're a believer, you are weak. Is that how you view yourself? And again, we're not talking about the kind of of, of weakness in which we we live defeated spiritually. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a humble and meek um, weakness in which the Lord is given space to do the work in our lives that he needs to do. Because what happens, the inverse of that, the pride that gets in the way of that, many times creates a barrier between us and God and the work that he needs to do in us, he cannot do. And so when I say spiritual weakness, what I mean by that is a a humble openness and tenderness in which the Lord can work. And so can you admit that kind of weakness? Can you accept or acknowledge that You need to be weak in that way. Paul's words of encouragement is that you have a helper if you are willing to admit your need. You are not alone. The spirit that is in you desires to bring comfort to you, to bring aid to you, even in your praying. And the spirit that is in you desires to do those things so that you can change so that you can be transformed by the Spirit. Now, some of you here tonight have not come in with, a, with an attitude of that kind of spiritual tenderness. You, um, you have come in 
seeing yourself as put together. You have come in and, and seeing, see yourself as indestructible even. Well, Paul has good news for you too. When you take off that mask, when you stop that charade, when you stop trying to convince everything and everyone around you that everything is okay, that you've got it together, Paul says you know that you need help. You're tired. If you're honest, you're exhausted. So acknowledge it, admit it, and then fall into the arms of Jesus. Where you can find rest, where you can find refuge, where you can find hope. In fact, Paul is saying something about weakness that I think is profound here in these verses if we will admit this kind of weakness. I think Paul is saying that prayer itself is a confession or recognition of weakness. Friends, prayer is an exercise of admitting we're in need. So when you think about your prayer life, do you come to God like that? With a, a neediness, with a, a, a weakness, a tenderness? Prayer shows that you need. Paul says you don't even know how to say to God that you're in need sometimes. You don't even know what to express to God in prayer that you need something. But in ex that expression of your need, you find the Spirit there to meet you with those groanings. You guys know this in your prayer lives. It's true of mine. I feel so often that my prayer life is just falling so short of what God wants from me. And sometimes I don't know how to express that very well to God. Paul is saying that's precisely at the point that the Holy Spirit can help us. Have you ever been at that point where you didn't know what to pray for? You were so beaten down, you couldn't pray. You, you knew exactly the truth of, of what we're talking about here, but in tears and, and frustration, you, you just said to God, God, I don't even know what to say. There are times when the pressures of life are so great that you are left distracted, disoriented, even times where it feels like darkness is overwhelming your soul. You don't know what you think about yourself. You don't know what you think about your circumstances. You don't know what you think about God. You don't know what to say to God. Paul is saying that in the midst of that kind of heart posture, that's groaning, right? Where you're at the end of your rope, and your weakness is manifest. It is the Spirit who enters into your suffering, enters into your pain, enters into your weakness, and interprets, transcribes that into a petition or an appeal to God who has perfect power to change your circumstances. Friends, that's good news. And it's the work of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in community together for your sake. The triune God supplies supernatural help for you in prayer, particularly in your weakness. 
Now look with me, if you would, beginning there in verse 28. It's one of Scripture's most well-known verses. If you've been around the church, you've heard, heard it before. And, and in it, Paul is continuing to talk about the way that God the Father, Jesus, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit intend to help you. But before we tackle what Paul is saying in this very well-known verse, we need to first understand what he's not saying. Right, Paul is first not saying that all things are good in the believer's life. There are many things in my life that are not good. Some of those things are things that have been done to me. You can think about those things for yourself. There are things that have been done to you that are not good, things that are no fault of your own. There are other things that we do ourselves that are, are not good as well, but Paul is also not asking us to sort of just take a whatever will be, will be approach to life. He's not asking you to just resign your fate to the future. Paul is also not just saying generically that things always turn out for the best. So, as a way of getting into this verse, if those are a few of the things that Paul is not saying here, what is he saying? Here is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that God is sovereign over all things with his wisdom and his love. And in doing so, he cares for and directs all things, including you, in the universe. What is that? Well, another way we could say that is the providence of God. We actually, Ryan talked about the sovereignty of God earlier. We sang about the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty and providence in a lot of ways are synonyms. What we're saying here is that God rules and reigns over all things in such a way that because of his wisdom and his love, he is able to care for and direct all things in the universe. So when Paul says... For those who love God, all things work together for good. He is not saying that things just sort out themselves uh, on their own, but rather that God, in some mysterious way, works all things out for the good of his people, but ultimately for his glory. Why does Paul do this? Why is Paul saying this? in the midst of what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Well, remember what he just said. The Holy Spirit helps you in your weakness and intercedes for you when you can't even find the words to pray to, to God. We've been talking in previous weeks about things like suffering. Your suffering is real and present. If you're not going through it now, you will, right? And in those moments of suffering, in those moments of weakness, even in prayer, Someone out there might be tempted to say, well, it doesn't feel like the Holy Spirit is interceding for me. I feel weaker than ever. I feel abandoned by God. Where is God when I need him? Paul does this a lot in the book of Romans. He anticipates the questions before they come. And Paul is anticipating that question. Paul says, not only can you know that the Spirit intercedes for you in your weakness, 
you can also know that every moment in your life is being used by God for your ultimate good. I say ultimate because it's something that most of us don't see in the moment. In fact, more often than not, you won't see it in the moment. You will have to trust that God's promise here is true. In fact, I, somebody this week, I was, as I was studying this, said it this way. Many times in the moment, you are, um, you are going to be so challenged to remember the truth of God, unless you figured it out before that moment, in the moment, you're going to have a really hard time remembering this promise. So in other words, he was saying, do the work beforehand. Know this promise, get this promise in your spirit so that when you face weakness, when you face suffering, you can know that you know that God is going to work out all things in your life, good, bad, ugly, towards your ultimate good. Again, you're gonna have to trust that that promise is true even in spite of your emotions and feelings many times. And what my hope is, what I've experienced in my life, my prayer is for you and for our church, is that the long obedience in the same direction that you and I should be on will see God being faithful in the past so that in the present we can trust Him now. Now I want you to notice the second half of verse 28 as well. Paul goes on to say to whom this encouragement belongs. Paul says that the only ones who can claim this comfort are Christians. This promise, this encouragement, this providence is not a generic providence. It's not something that God does generally. It's a very specific providence. It is not for everyone. It is inclusive and, it, and it's not the no pain, no gain philosophy here. Paul is saying that in and through your pain and suffering, even your sinful messes that you find yourself in, God can do, is doing something far more purposeful than, than you can imagine. But he's saying it's for those who've trusted and rested in Christ. It's those who've run to God for His grace who can be comforted to know that there is no event, zero events in your life in which God is not working out the purposes for your good. So you may be here tonight and you would say, Brad, I, I'm kind of peeking over the fence of Christianity. I'm investigating Jesus. I need this comfort. I need this encouragement. I have been trying to to just power through the pain in my life on my own. I'm exhausted. What is the good news for you tonight is if you trust in Jesus, if you rest in him tonight, run to him for his grace, you can be comforted to know that moving forward, no event, and in fact, what he does is he redeems all that's happened before any event in your life. He is, he is now working that out for the purposes of your good. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm just telling you the work that Jesus does in the life of Christians to do this, that, that for Paul to say that he's working it out for your good, you need that. And I want to ask you to trust Jesus tonight. Put your faith in him. Experience the specific personal providence 
of this grace that, that God wants to give you tonight. We're going to have a time of communion here in a moment. Um, myself, Ryan, that you've heard speak tonight up front here, uh, and Pastor John will also be available. We would be honored to talk with you about what it means to, to have this encouragement in your life as you place your faith and trust in Jesus. God wants to give you this kind of comfort tonight. Now, Paul goes on to talk more specifically about what these purposes are. And really what Paul is doing here is talking about the ways in which the triune God is at work in bringing the most important help that you need. He can help us in prayer and our weakness. It's a beautiful thing. Or friends, your greatest need, the greatest area in which you need help is your soul. You need spiritual help. So let's see what Paul says about this. First of all, look at verse 29. Paul says that God foreknew. And I actually prefer the term uh, foreloved us. Here's why I like that. There are passages in the Bible and in the New Testament where the word foreknew absolutely means that God can foresee or have foreknowledge of future events. But that is not what Paul is saying here. Here what Paul is saying is that God has set his love on his spiritual children before the foundation of the world. Now some say that because God foresaw in a way that that we would choose him, that in response to that, he then chose us. But that is not what Paul could be saying here because he does not say for what he foreknew. What Paul says is for whom he foreknew. In other words, this is a personal relationship of love that Paul is talking about that God set on his spiritual children before the foundation of the world. But Paul goes on. He says that those whom he foreknew in that relationship of love, he predestined. Now that is a word that is loaded with mystery and honestly is beyond our ability to fully understand and reconcile on this side of eternity. But this word is in the Bible, so we have to understand what the Bible is, is trying to say about it, again, in our finite minds. And here's one way I think that we can say this. God has a plan for everything in life, especially the conversion of sinners. And he is working everything out in accordance with that plan. Now, we're going to be tackling the issue of predestination, election, those kinds of words that we're going to see a little bit more in Romans uh, in the future. So we're not going to go very deep tonight, but we are going to say this. There is a tension that exists here when you look at the scriptures with our freedom of choice and the way in which God saves. And so, you should know that our choice is is though not a coincidence or something that we make completely on our own. The the way in which God gives us the faith to believe is behind everything, and we're we're gonna be talking more about that in, in in the months to come, but there is a very real tension. If you're interested in Learning more about that tension, um, the, the theological term for that is compatibilism. And uh, uh, some books I could recommend to you if you're interested, we can talk after church. We'd like to get together and talk more about it over coffee. I'd love to do that with you. Any of the pastors would as, as well. But Paul goes on to talk about being predestined 
to being then in predestined for a purpose. And what is that purpose? To be conformed to the image of his son. Whatever foreknowledge and predestination mean, and they mean things. I'm not copping out by saying it that way. They mean real things. The end game is the goal of human beings looking like Jesus. The promise here is that everything in the life of the believer is working out for the good creation of Christ-likeness in them, godliness in them. So the hope for a believer is that somehow everything fits within God's plan and is making them like Jesus. And then in verse 20, Paul says that those whom he predestined are also called. This is a crucial aspect of the biblical idea of of, of salvation or of, of predestination. If you're a believer and you remember when the light bulb came on, right, when it came to your, you came to an understanding of the gospel, you desire to repent and turn to Christ, that's what it means to be called. It was the summons of God to salvation. When you heard the gospel, when you saw your sin and you were drawn to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then Paul goes on there in verse 30. He says that those whom he predestined and called, he justified. And we've talked about this a lot already in the book of Romans. Again, justification is the act of God where he declares sinful human beings to be righteous because of the imputation of his righteousness to those who put their trust in him. It's this great exchange, the righteousness of Jesus for our sin. And justification is a kind of a legal term, but it also represents a positional change in our relationship with God. And then Paul closes out this passage with really the ultimate aim of the triune God in and through the life of the believer. Look what he says. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Friends, this is the end goal of salvation. Where the children of God are made perfect in every way, once and for all, the presence and the power of sin will be erased, and you and I will live in perfect peace in the new heavens and the new earth. All of this is the good that Paul is speaking about in verse 28. This is the good which God conspires to bring about in and through every event of your life. Here's the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. The triune God supplies supernatural help in salvation. Now, this may seem like an odd way to say it, um, that God helps us in salvation, but I want you to think of it this way. God first helps you to become a Christian. We just said how that happens. He saves you. You needed help. You and I were utterly incapable of saving ourselves. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses. Dead people don't raise themselves, but God does. And you and I needed this rescue, this help, because we could not rescue ourselves. But second, God helps us stay a Christian. Remember, salvation is not just the door into a relationship with the triune God, but it is what he continues to do for us on our behalf as we walk with him. Here's what I mean. When we face real hardship in our life, how do we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding? Like when you don't understand what you're going through, when it makes no sense, when the experience that you are undergoing is so heavy and so dark that you cannot make the end of it from the beginning, 
You feel like you can't breathe. It's so heavy on you. You don't even know how it's serving the interests of your own sanctification. The apostle is speaking to Christians precisely in that kind of circumstance. Here's what Paul is doing for us. He is saying that God has got you. You can trust him. You can trust his providence. You can trust his intercession. You can trust his salvation. But I actually think there's another reason that Paul is reminding us of this work that the triune God is doing in our lives. When Paul says that we know the promise that God works all things out for the good of those who love him, he is helping us get on our lips something that we know is true even when our heart doesn't feel it. Many times we don't believe that to be true. We doubt that God is working good for us or working out good. We, we are skeptics. Some of us at times, honestly, we're practical atheists. Why? I get it. The pain can be so intensive. The embarrassment can be so intense. The disappointment that we're walking through can be so intense that we become angry, that we become hardened to God. And the mere suggestion that God is using those very things for our good grates against us. But in saying that we know, Paul is emphasizing that this is an undeniable truth that is there for our help, for our encouragement. Now, Paul is not saying that all nice things work together for our good. He's saying that everything, even the evil that you've experienced in your life, can be turned around by God for your best interests. Death, illness, marital strife, relational strife, vocational problems, persecution, you go on and on. God can take all of that stuff and redeem them. It's a process. It doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. But if we will walk with the Lord, if we will be patient with him as he is patient with us, God, the promise here is that God causes all things to work together for good. So there it is. The text is saying that the children of God can always be assured of that. That there is never pointless pain in your life. Everything is working together for your good. Even when you don't know what to pray, God supplies supernatural help for you. Even when you just, like overall, you don't understand what God is doing in your life, the triune God can supply supernatural help to you. And in all of this, it means that underneath every event and every situation, every pain, there is a divine plan. God's good and perfect and pleasing will that will not be thwarted is being orchestrated and being worked out. Paul is not saying that only good things happen to his children. He is saying that he is able to make them good. Friends, there is never anything that happens to God's children that he cannot or will not use 
for the furtherance of his good plan in your life. Do you believe that? Can you believe that? Everything works out for the good of God's plan for his children. Everything. Let's pray together.